Acts chapter 5. Father, I ask that you help me tonight as I preach this message. May I do so in the way that most pleases you. May Christ be most lifted up in it. Lord, would you guide my every thought and my every word. And Lord, would you use your word to do something amazing and miraculous in our hearts tonight. Lord, this is one of those messages that I believe every one of us has something in it that applies to us. And I pray, God, that you would apply that. It would be clearly for us that we would respond accordingly. Help us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is a familiar one. Um, By my records, I've preached two different messages from this passage. And tonight we'll touch on some of those points, but it's an entirely new message. We look at it, and the narrative of it, you know, Ananias and Sapphira had made a decision to sell some property. They were going to give a portion of that to the church there at Jerusalem, but they were going to say that they were giving it all. And they thought that they had a pretty good setup there, and so when they brought the money, they, um, at two different times, they indicated that this was the entirety of the profit. When in reality, it was not. And it just cut to the chase. Both of them lost their lives that day in the presence of God's church. It's a, it's a morbid tale, really. It's a scary proposition. Um, but when we look at it, th- there's three questions that we want to ask. Number one, what exactly was their sin? What exactly did they do that was so bad? Number two, what made their sin so dreadful? Because it's one thing to identify a sin, but if we're honest, sometimes some sins look worse than others. You know, a man alive, God, God killed him for that? You know. But then number three, did God overreact? Now, we would never verbalize a thought like that, but be honest, sometimes we read in Scripture and we're thinking, man, I don't know if I'd have handled it like God did. Like, like we have some kind of wisdom. You know, did God overreact? Now, there's some things we want to understand before we get into this message tonight. First of all, I believe with all of my heart that Ananias and Sapphira were saved. I believe they were part of this new church. You know, the church had not long been around. Um, uh, Pentecost has not been in the too distant past. And so they're still meeting. They're still meeting in the out of doors. They're at Solomon's porch. They don't even have a building yet. And, and so the church is still pretty young, but they're part of that church at Jerusalem. And, and not for nothing, they're told that they lied to the Spirit. I got news for you. You can't lie to a Spirit that's not there in your life. So I believe these two were saved members of the church at Jerusalem. It's almost certain that, that back on the day of Pentecost, when you see those 3,000 people get saved and baptized and added to the church, Ananias and Sapphira were probably two of those people. It's reasonable to conclude that they were close with Peter. It's reasonable to conclude that, that, that these were not bad people, that, that were troublemakers and all of that. In fact, I suspect just from the tone of it that there's some surprise there. They were saved people. Another thing to understand, the Bible does teach that God reserves his right to take his children home prematurely if he sees the need to. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. 
If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Now there's a lot going on in that passage, but what we take from it is there is a sin that can bring about death. I don't think it's a specific sin that applies to everybody. I think it's a sin in every individual's life that that they've reached a point that God says, I'm not going to let you go any further. Now, I could never make that call. I don't have the spiritual insight to say if somebody's died from a sin unto death. You know, we, we hope this doesn't happen, but, but you know, let's, let's say Brother Foster, Brother Foster, newlywed Brother Foster, let's say that he gets hit by a bus, okay, which would be some doing because there aren't many buses around here. Hey, <laughs> then we got an investigation on our hands, but... I would not dare stand over his casket and say, well, you understand why he's dead. This is a sin unto death. I, don't, I can't make that determination. I'll tell you one situation I saw, though. A dear friend of mine died when he was 16 years old. And his daddy stood over his casket in front of all his friends from the local public school. And he said, my son shouldn't be dead right now. He's dead because he made some bad choices and God loved him too much to let him live in them. That's a tough thing for a dad to say. I'm going to tell you something. Scores of young people got saved at that funeral. It does happen. You remember when Paul's talking to the Corinthians about the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. What's Paul saying? Hey, some of y'all that have dishonored the Lord's table, some of your friends are dead because they did that. See? God often uses these kind of situations to purify and revive and empower his church and the people within his church. We see that in verses 11 through 16. But if we're honest, at first blush, we, we look at this and, yeah, what they did wasn't good. But man, was it really worthy of such a drastic and public correction? Was it really, was it really worthy of, of, of what God did on that day? But on closer inspection, we see some very valuable instruction for us today. So tonight we want to look at this. We want to learn from Ananias and Sapphira. We want to learn from Ananias and Sapphira. What was their sin? Let's begin with that first question. What was their sin? Okay. Well, it was actually two-pronged. First of all, their sin was dishonesty. Now, Peter says you haven't lied to men, you've lied to God. He's not saying that they had not lied to men. Certainly, they're trying to deceive the people of the church. But Peter's saying far worse than that, you've lied to God. Verse number 8, Peter answered, Unto her, and it was Sapphira, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. That was a lie. She lied to Peter, didn't she? And they're trying to perpetrate a, a deception on the church. But then more than that, verse number three, Peter said to Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? He goes on in verse four, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. What had happened was two Christians had so seared their conscience, and yes, Christians can sear their conscience. You abide in sin long enough, and you will sear your conscience. 
Okay? They'd so seared their conscience that they, could, they really thought they could pull one over on God. <laughs> now, we read this and we're like, that's crazy. But how often do we lie to God? You're, you know where it happens a lot? Here. Here. Dishonesty. But their ultimate sin wasn't the dishonesty. The ultimate sin was unbelief. Now, not as in the matter of their salvation. But look at verse number 8. Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? To tempt the Spirit of the Lord. What does that mean? That means to try him, to see how far he's really willing to go. What does that tell us? They didn't really believe that God would deal with sin as they had been taught. They doubted his resolve. They pressed the envelope to see how far they could get and still get away with it. And Christians, you know as well as I do, we do the same thing. How many times can I indulge this sin and God won't do anything to me? How far can I push him and still have what I enjoy. Well, we do it all the time in the matter of worldliness, don't we? We do it all the time in the matter of our pet sins. We're no better than Ananias and Sapphira. What was their sin? Dishonesty and unbelief. Okay, all right, that's bad, but, but really. Worthy of death? What made their sin so dreadful and yes there is misspelled to my shame so let's get past it what made their sin so dreadful you know we're prone to see sin as less dreadful than it really is aren't we especially our own now we see other people's sin is pretty dreadful but when we're looking at ourselves eh, i'm not so bad the sin of ananias and sapphira had some dreadful characteristics that demanded God's chastening. You see, first of all, was feigned consecration. What does that mean? In verses 1 and 2, a certain man, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they come into this church service, and they've got their, their money, their shekels or whatever they're using for currency and in front of everybody they bring it to Peter and they lay it down and we have brought this gift for the Lord and certainly there were some people oh how generous oh how spiritual oh how consecrated but it was feigned it was fake it wasn't real Again, we look at that and we say, oh, that's terrible. And yet, we're guilty of it all the time. How often is our expression of worship just fake and hollow? 
and were merely play acting. I have seen it with my own eyes and I'm sorry to say I have lived it in my own life where I go to church and hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then in a matter of hours, I'm right back where I was in my worldliness later. It was empty. It was hollow. A.W. Tozier, if you ever read anything about Tozier, it's not fun reading. And Tozier said this, Christians don't tell lies. They just go to church and sing them. All to Jesus I surrender. Is that true? We sing of victory in Jesus when we haven't experienced victory in forever. Hmm? Feigned consecration. What made their sin so dreadful? Feigned consecration, you know what else? Faulty criteria. What do I mean by that? Never, ever, ever skip over the little words in the Bible. What's the first word of chapter 5? But. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. This is another one of those unfortunate chapter divisions. Because what does that take you back to? It takes you back to chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that, that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. By the way, this is not prescriptive. It is descriptive. It is telling us what was done in the early days of the church. It is not a command that we all sell all of our possessions and pull it into one big pile and live as socialist Christians and we all live here in the building. That is not what you need to do. Please don't move in here. Okay? Please don't move here. If for no other reason, we don't have showers. It'd get bad in a hurry. Okay? All right? This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Verse 33, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and bought the, brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what happened? Barnabas goes out, he sells a piece of property, which there's an argument to be made as a Levite, he shouldn't have owned it to begin with. But anyway, he sells this piece of property, he takes the entirety of the profit, and brings it in and lays it at the apostles' feet. And the people are so moved by this, they give him the nickname, the son of consolation, the son of encouragement. What happens is Ananias and Sapphira see this and they say, man, I want that kind of recognition. Man, I want to enjoy that kind of, you know, that, that kind of uh, praise. So here's what we're going to do. Well, what's the problem with that? They had made the actions of other men their criteria for service, not the leading of God's Spirit through His Word. There are some people in this church that God has or maybe will continue to lead you to give financially to some project, and some people He won't. There are some people God's going to lead to enter into a certain type of ministry, and some people He won't. It's not about what other people are doing. It's about what God through His Word tells you to do. 
Because if you're not listening to God's word and his spirit, then your criteria for what you do in your service is faulty. And then that led to a fissured course. What's a fissured course? It's a course of action that has been split. It's been divided. It's been cleft, cleaved. It's been divided. Their walk with God is split in two. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sell the property, and we're going to get all the praise and all of the uh, congratulations from people and all the respect, but we're going to keep some of the money. What's that? That's walking in two worlds. I can have the adulation and keep my assets. I, I, can, I can have the respect but still keep my riches. And that's what we see in Christians that want to live like Solomon and go to the reward of Paul. You've got to choose which road you're going to be on, which course you're going to take. Because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What was their sin? Dishonesty and unbelief. What made this sin so dreadful? Feigned consecration, faulty criteria, a fissured course. You know what else? Foolish conceit. In tempting God, they were seeing how far they could go, and they reached a point of foolishly believing that they would get away with their sin. And Christian, we've all been there. I can do this, and I can get away with it. That is foolish conceit. But do you know what I think is maybe the worst part of this whole thing? It's not, what made this so bad? It's not just the feigned consecration, the faulty criteria, the fissured course, the foolish conceit. Finally, there's a fearful contagion. Do you understand your sin is contagious? Well, I can, I can do wrong, and, you know, that's just on me. <laughs> if you're paying attention at all to what's going on in our world, even right here in our community, you know that's not true. Sin has a way of affecting everyone around it. And it's contagious. Look, look at this. Look at verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. So from that language, whose idea was this? It was Ananias's. But what did he do? He dragged his wife into it. I've been pastoring long enough that I've seen one member of a family do wrong, and by and by he's drug his whole family into it. I've seen one kid in the school do wrong, and before you know it, they're dragging other students in with them. And that's what Ananias did. Ananias said, you know what, I got an idea. And he drugged Sapphira into it. It's contagious, y'all. Well, I can just live the way I want, and it'll affect your family. It'll affect your friends. It'll affect your church. It'll affect everybody. Here's the thing. If you look at verses 11 through 16, you see that dealing with this sin empowered the church. But if the converse is also true, to fail to deal with sin does what to the church? It damages it. It damages it. 
Our sin, no matter how seemingly insignificant, will ultimately infect. I didn't say affect, I said infect those around us. I cannot tell you how many times I've had to sit my kids down to my shame. Claire, Asher, I haven't had a very good attitude today. What you're seeing in me is not what you should see in in a dad who believes in God and trusts him and tries to live by his word. I've let you down today, and I'm sorry. And I don't want you to ever judge our God and our Savior by some of the foolishness you see in your dad. Because you know what? If I don't make those amends and I don't make those distinctions, my kids will start to believe that's how Christians are supposed to act. And it gets contagious. Can we see that Ananias and Sapphira's sin was indeed pretty dreadful? But it still leads us to the same question. Did God overreact? And the answer is a hearty no. Would you agree with me that we tend to view eternal spiritual things through temporal human lenses? Sometimes that's all we know to do. We try to see things. You know, the Bible tells us that, 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 that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We, we don't have the mind of God. Now, we can strive to have the mind of Christ, and we should. But the fact is, God sees a much bigger field than we do. And he knows things that we don't know. And he understands things that we don't understand. But we tend to view eternal spiritual truth through temporal human lenses. And many in doing that would see this as an overreaction by God. Why couldn't God just chasten them? Why couldn't God just smack them around a little bit? Here's why. We we don't understand it because we don't see sin like God sees sin. Can I remind you of this truth? God never reacts. He only responds. He never reacts. He only responds. And all of God's responses are proportionate. Now, if it's not, it's because God went on the side of mercy. But does God ever go too far? No. Did he go too far with Sodom and Gomorrah? No. Did he go too far with Saul? No. Did he go too far with, you know, anybody that we go through Scripture and see them ultimately receive their judgment? No. Whatever Hitler's going through right now, has God gone too far? No. His responses are always right. And when we look at this story, we actually see God protecting two groups. Number one, God will protect saved sinners. You're telling me that in Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead, God was protecting them. Yes. Yes. Why? Because if they'll do this and they get away with it, there's no limit to how far they'll go. I've told you this before. I believe it with all of my heart. I sat in an apartment in Colonial Heights, Virginia, 
222 Lakeview Avenue, Apartment B. I'm flipping through the channels. I'd come home from work, took a shower, got ready to lay down, still kind of keyed up. So I'm flipping through the channels, and I'm such a big shot, I've got cable. My parents didn't have cable, but I've got cable because I'm rolling in the money. Because when you're an assistant manager for Kentucky Fried Chicken, you're rolling in the money. I've got my 1994 Chevy Cavalier parked out in the driveway. I'm in my apartment, my own place. can come and go as I please. I'm flipping through the channels. And this was when Bill Gaither first started his homecoming videos. This was back when all those people were still alive. You look at those old videos now. Mark Lowry has this bit where he says, I watch those old videos now and all I can do is dead, 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 dead. There's a lot of them gone. The Happy Goodmans were still around. I met them, by the way. She called me darling. Jay Kess was still around. J.D. Sumner was still around. All those old quartet people. And I sat there just bawling as they sang the songs that I grew up hearing. And sure as anything, the Holy Ghost of God spoke to my heart that night and whispered, Son, if you don't get right with me tonight, I'm taking you out of here. I'm not going to let you go any further because I know where you're headed. Tonight's the night. Get right or come home. And you will never convince me that had I ignored that, that I'd be here today. Never. Had God taken me home, it would have been merciful rather than let me go down the road that I was going to go and bring dishonor to myself and to my family and to my faith, to my Savior. It would have been merciful. It would have been protective. But you know who else he protected that day? He was not just protecting saved sinners. He was also protecting the surrounding saints. The church was brand new, young, and impressionable. And God's not going to let anybody tear this young church down. In the 12 years I've been here and been a part of Granite Christian Academy, there have been a couple of occasions. Never, never with a hateful thought, never with anything but love. But we've had to remove students from the student population. Because if we didn't, they'd tear the whole school down. It's never easy and almost always not popular. But you do what you have to do. On a handful of occasions as a pastor, thank God, not here. 
But in the five years that I was in Alabama, I had a couple of occasions that I had to enact church discipline. It's terrible, and it's always a last resort. But if I hadn't of, it would have infected our church. You say, oh, well, you must think you're some kind of super spiritual person to do something like that. No, if I could get away with not doing it, I would, but the Bible prescribes it in some situations. And I have to be obedient. Did God overreact? No. This was an act of protection. Can I give you something to think about? An important distinction to note here. Though it is implied, the text never actually says God killed them. What do we take from that? It is implied, and I do believe God did, but it's a reminder that even if God takes no action at all, it is sin that ultimately kills everybody. It's just a matter of time. The shocking thing about this passage is how suddenly it happened. But the reality of it is any Christian who lives in sin long enough will die from it. What does Romans 6.23 tell us? The wages of sin is what? Death. James chapter 1, verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot tempt with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. So what? Okay, we've answered three questions tonight. What was their sin? It was dishonesty and unbelief. Why was it so dreadful? Feigned consecration, faulty criteria, fissured course, foolish conceit, fearful contagion. Did God overreact? No, he did not. So what's, what's, what's the so what then? What do I take from this? Well, when you read a passage like this, which by the way is a historical account, this really happened. There was a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. They were part of the church at Jerusalem. They did commit this sin, and they did die. Okay. When you read a passage like this, there are two very dangerous conclusions we can make. Number one, I'm not like that. That never happened to me. But I think, you know, even is the more dangerous conclusion to make, God's not like that either. All evidence to the contrary. God wouldn't do that to me. I can assure you that both conclusions are untrue. Any of us, if we stray from the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives, any of us, I don't care how long you've been saved, I don't care how much you've accomplished for the glory of the Lord, any of us can be Ananias and Sapphira. Any of us. And I'm here to tell you that God is like that. And God will do what he must do to protect the sinful saint. The sinful saved, rather. And the surrounding saints. He will. We think back to what Paul told the Corinthians regarding their sinful approach to the Lord's table. 
1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now, if I stopped there, that's a tough passage. But keep reading. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If there's any part of this message that has hit home tonight, what's my recommendation to you? Same thing I'm going to do. I'm going to get down before God, and I'm going to judge myself. I'm going to ask God to search me and try me. Is there anything in me that displeases you, Lord? I don't want to be Ananias and Sapphira. I want to be somebody that lives as long a life as God gives me in total consecration to Jesus Christ. And I want to finish well. May God help us to learn from Ananias and Sapphira.